our Lord from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. The prophet said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Lord, would you bless the reading of your holy word to our hearts and to our minds and Lord would you bless us as your people through your word instruct us we pray and help us to follow as you lead in the name of your son Jesus we pray amen despite what you might be thinking or what you might have heard the new covenant is really the fulfillment of the old covenant It is not God's plan B for His people. It's not as though God said, Well, my old covenant didn't work, so let's try something new. The new covenant is actually the fulfillment of the old covenant. It is what God was intending all along. In fact, no one in the Old Testament was saved by keeping the law. That's not what the old covenant was intending to do. It was not intending to to give people commandments and rules so that by obeying them, they might be saved. It was actually a teaching opportunity for God's people. Again, no one in the Old Testament was saved by keeping the, the law. No one. Not ever. No man can keep the law and earn righteousness before God. When we completely separate the new covenant from the old covenant, we end up with a theology that is very unbiblical. And as a result, it's very unhealthy and really unhelpful to us. Because what ends up happening is things in the scriptures are being compartmentalized and we're not seeing the relationship of this to that. We think this has nothing to do with that that was happening back there. We end up with uh, approaching the New Testament and we, we... create for ourselves a meek and mild Jesus who is appeasing an angry and vengeful father. And that's definitely some messed up and very unbiblical theology. You see, God entered the covenant with Israel in order to establish a relationship with them so that he could reveal himself to them and prepare them for a great campaign of redemption that he was preparing them for. He's entering into relationship with his people through covenant. A very common practice in the ancient world. Specifically a very common political uh, practice. Where a king would approach a neighboring people. And would offer them a covenantal relationship together. I will be your king. You will be my people. I will provide such and such for you. You'll do such and such for me. And we'll be allies together. I will be your, your lord. Your sovereign. And you will be my people. And so God enters into that type of relationship with Israel because his desire was always all along to be with his people. His desire is to be near them. 
You find that in the book of Genesis. You find it all the way later on in the book of Revelation. I will be their God and they will be my people. Speaking of that proximal relationship that he wants to have with them. And so what does God do? He does what he always does. He intruded. He intruded into their lives. Just like whether we like it or not, he intrudes into our lives. He intruded into the life of Abram. He intruded into the life of Moses. He intrudes in your life and mine. The great hound of heaven. He is always pursuing. Never leaving us alone. He refuses. He even says, not on my life will I leave you alone. But why was there an old covenant before the new covenant? In other words, why didn't he just send Jesus and voila, with one wave of his arm, redeem us? Well, there was an old covenant before the new covenant because of the nature and extent of the problem. The problem of our sin. It necessitated an old covenant. We didn't understand our predicament. We didn't understand the extent of our brokenness. And thankfully, the old covenant brings us face to face with it. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves any graven image. You shall not worship it. You shall not bow down before it. You shall not dance before it. And you'll do this because I have redeemed you. Oh yes, Lord, we will do that perfectly. Now let's craft a golden calf and dance around it and declare that this is Yahweh who brought us out of Egypt. See, the old covenant was very successful in what it was intending to do. It was intending to confront us with the problem of sin. That despite our best efforts, despite our best intentions, there's something fundamentally broken deep down within the human soul. What the Old Testament calls the heart. The old covenant brought us face to face with who God is with what it means to be in relationship with Him, and what it means to live in proximity to Him. You are on holy ground. Take your shoes off. You are to be a holy people. Cleanse and sanctify yourselves. But it also showed us just how fundamentally broken we are. It presented the problem. It exposed our conundrum. God wants to be near us, we would like to maybe be near Him. He's done good things for us. He's made us to know Him. He's rescued us from certain circumstances. He's he's saved us from our enemies. Sure, we would like to be in a relationship with Him. But there's something deep down within the human heart that says, I will not submit to you. I will have my own way. Despite God's grace. That's what the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was presenting to us. The problem of sin. The conundrum of the human heart and soul. 
Remember, God's desire from Genesis 1 and 2 all the way through Revelation 21 and 22 is for his people to dwell in his place and enjoy his presence. If you can remember those three things that Dr. Sandy Richter uh, taught us, God's people, his place, and his presence, that will make sense of what all's happening in the scriptures. Not just the Old Testament, but the New as well. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The Old Testament tells us that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Cliché. Yes, I know. I hate clichés, but I use them. I use them faithfully. But it's true. Our problem is not an intrinsic inability to be faithful to Yahweh. Sure, we can... Be faithful to our spouse, as the Ten Commandments call us to. Sure, we can tell the truth and not lie against our neighbor. But our problem, no, it's not an intrinsic inability to be faithful. It is a hidden lack of desire deep down within us. Even when we think that we fully want to be God's people, there's something down there in the human heart that rebels. The scriptures call it sin. And the scriptures tell us that because of sin, our hearts have become disordered. You remember in the account of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, everything in life becomes disordered as a consequence of sin. Adam, what have you done? It wasn't me, Lord. It was that woman that you gave me. The blame shifting. Eve, what have you done? No, 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 no. The serpent, the serpent, he he deceived me. And so yeah, I took the fruit and I ate it. So what, Lord? What are you gonna do about it? Even all of creation groans for the restoration, for the redemption of the world in Christ. Because all of creation has been disordered by sin. So much more so the human heart has become disordered because of our sin. I keep using this term heart, and it's a very common term in the Old Testament. But what is the heart? It's not merely the seat of the emotions. It's not just about our feelings. That's typically how we refer to the heart nowadays. We're very very Greek in, in that way. We think of the heart as just where we, where we have our feels. But that's not what the Old Testament bit, meant by the human heart. It is the core of our being. It is the center, the control center of the human person. The, the, really the center of our personality. It's where everything comes from. That's why Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not what we put into our bodies that contaminate us. It's what's already in there. It's our heart that contaminates what we do. From the heart springs our thoughts in the Hebrew world. From the heart springs our emotions, our behaviors, our our works and our words. Our actions and reactions. Our intellect even. In the Hebrew world, you think with your heart because that's the core of who you are. Our intellect, our passions, our desires, our will. It's all found within the heart. The center of who we are 
on the inside. Really all of who we are comes out of the heart in the Hebrew world. And the prophets tell us that's exactly where the problem lies. In the human heart. The New Testament writers put the problem a bit differently. Writing to a Greek-speaking world, the world of their contemporaries, they declare the problem lies in our mind. Greek-thinking people are very different than Hebrew-thinking people. The problem is, you might say, our mindedness. How we think. Our way of seeing things. Our way of seeing God. Our way of seeing the world He has made. Our way of seeing ourselves. Our way of seeing others. We don't think rightly. Truly, we are blind to reality, the New Testament tells us. We don't see rightly. We don't see how God sees because we don't think like God thinks. And so, with the end of the Old Testament, what we're left with is our great need for transformation. We need to be transformed. We need to be made new. We need to be completely changed from the inside out. We're left with that great need, but we're also left with the promise of God to transform us from within, from within our humanity. And so he sends his incarnate son, Jesus, into humanity to give new life. That's why Paul spoke of Jesus as a second Adam. He is a new head of the human race. He has come to reorder our broken humanity, to fix our fallenness. And there's the promise of God to transform us from within our humanity, but also from within the very human heart and life through the indwelling spirit. And so the new covenant is really the promise that God is going to send two hands to save us. He is going to send the hand of his Messiah, his son, Jesus, who would come and provide deliverance for us. And he is going to send us the hand of his Holy Spirit who is going to take the work of the Messiah and get it down deep into our heart. He comes to transform within. He promises to come Himself to His people so that He might come Himself into His people. Again, the prophet Jeremiah. I will put my law... In their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall each man teach his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it upon their hearts. Ezekiel is a bit more colorful with the language. Ezekiel is always a bit more colorful. And if you don't know what I mean by that, you haven't read Ezekiel lately. Have you? He always, he always uses very, very colorful, very 
um, awkward language, if you will. But in his colorful language about this new covenant, Ezekiel says that we are like a valley of dry bones, dead and lifeless bones, dislocated, dismembered, and in complete disrepair. We are fully disordered. Why? He tells us why. Because we have no wind in us, no breath. No spirit. And so what's the solution? Ezekiel tells us the solution. The solution is for the Son of Man, whom Yahweh calls Ezekiel, for the Son of Man to send the Spirit of God to breathe over those dead and lifeless bones, and then they shall live. He also speaks about the condition of the human heart, as Jeremiah did. In Ezekiel 36, beginning at verse 23, we read, I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. Again, the work of God within us. For I will take you from among the nations. I will gather you out of all countries and I will bring you into your own land. And here it is. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness, from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. Then you shall be my people, and I will be your God." The problem with humanity is the brokenness of the human heart. And that is the problem that the old covenant exposed to us. And that is the problem that the new, that the new covenant intends to fix in us. The brokenness of the human heart. The promise of the new covenant is a new heart. A new mind. A new life, really, as Switchfoot put it back when I was a teenager. It was a new way to be human. That's God's intention for us, to show us what redeemed humanity looks like. That's what Jesus is. He is redeemed humanity. Paul calls him very emphatically, the man, Jesus emphasizing that this is the archetype of what it means to be human. Paul calls Jesus the image of the invisible God, which ought to remind us of the creation language, that God made us in His image to be like Him. God's promise 
is an inner work of transformation through an inner presence of his spirit. Rather than the cold deadness of a heart of stone, that imagery that Ezekiel uses, God promises us the warm, pulsating life of a heart of flesh. Rather than the dead, watery stagnation of a reservoir, He promises us a river of living water. That's Jesus' language when He spoke of the Holy Spirit. Welling up within our souls. A river of life. That's creation talk. That's new creation talk. You remember both in Eden of Genesis 2 and in the New Jerusalem of, G- of, G- of Revelation 22, we read of rivers of living water, life-giving water, which feed the Garden of Eden and feed the New Jerusalem. Interestingly, the Gospel is not so much about securing a destination after we die as it is about God taking up residence in the human heart through His Spirit in this life. Is there a heaven to come? Oh, absolutely. You can stake your life on it. But the good news of God's kingdom is the proclamation that He promises to transform our hearts here and now. He promises to mend what's broken and to bind up the wounds of this life. God's goal is His presence with His people. But the problem of sin lies in the human heart. And so God's plan is to get His presence into our hearts so that He might remake us. The problem is that our hearts are turned inward. Martin Luther, I believe he took it from um, maybe Irenaeus. Martin Luther um, used a Latin phrase to speak of this, cor incurvatus ad se, a heart turned in upon itself. In modern physics, we would call that a black hole. You might think of it as a vacuum. A heart turned inward on itself, closed in. The problem is that we we do not have a heart like God has because we do not have a mind like Jesus has. The New Testament speaks of the mind of Christ thinking like Jesus thinks so that we might love God rightly and so that we might love others as ourselves. But we find that difficult because we don't think like God and we're too busy protecting ourselves. We're too busy hiding ourselves We're too busy passing blame. We're too busy defending ourselves. Seeing others as our enemy. We're too busy acting like Adam and Eve. You know, some things never really change. 
But God, thankfully, can change what otherwise cannot be changed. God is the one who is able to do the impossible. The one who spoke the worlds into existence. The one who said, let there be light. The one who made man in his image. He can remake the human heart. He can do the impossible. He can take our hearts that are closed in upon themselves and can, and can begin to pry our closed fingers off of our lives and can begin to pry out of our hearts that disordered, twisted, broken vacuuminess. Jesus shed his blood in order to give us his heart. This is my blood of the new covenant, he told his disciples. He's inviting them. You will become like me if you will. Remember, if you were here last week, we were discussing the Old Covenant and we said that God gave Himself to His people in covenant even at His own cost, even at His own peril. It was Abram who slept while Yahweh passed through the covenantal carcasses as Yahweh said, I am giving Myself to you in irrevocable or irrevocable covenant. You will be my people and I will be your God. Now think of Jesus' words to his disciples. This is my body. This is my blood of the new covenant. Take and eat. Take and drink. The disciples didn't understand what was happening because this was not how the disciples thought. They also didn't understand why Jesus insisted on dying for them. They couldn't even understand why Jesus, their Lord and their Master, would stoop and wash their feet. Why are you doing this? This is silly. This is not your place. That is not your position. What they didn't understand was that this self-surrender, this self-humbling and self-giving, that this self-sacrifice is really at the heart of who God is. This is how God thinks of others, even at His own cost. You'll never go to the cross, Jesus rebuked, or Peter rebuked Jesus. Never. And what was Jesus' reply to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking like God thinks. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being God himself, did not consider it robbery to be equal to the Father, 
but he made himself of no reputation, forgettable. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men just like us, in being found in appearance as a man, the Apostle Paul says, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It is precisely to change the human heart, to change the human mind that Christ came. He came for nothing less than that. It is precisely to change the human heart and to change the human mind that the eternal Son of God became a human Himself. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is not some tack on. This is not some alternate ending. Christ has come to undo the works of the fall. To undo the destruction and to undo the disorder of sin. He has come to reorder our hearts and all of our lives. To reconstruct his image in us. And this is the promise that he makes to us, to you, to his people. Not that one day in heaven everything will be sorted out, but here and now on earth, God can transform your heart. He can change your mind. When you pray, Jesus instructed his disciples. Say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is for the concrete work of God's Spirit to be done in our hearts, in our lives, in our midst as the church. That is the prayer for God's rule and reign to be real and to be realized among us and in us and through us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just as it's done in heaven. That's not wishful thinking. And that's not theoretical escapism. That is prayerful Surrender. And that is what the scriptures call us to. To surrender ourselves. To give up control of our lives. To change our minds. To say, Lord, you may have all of me. Not this part over here. Not the majority of my life. Not an hour on Sundays once a week. Not for the most part. But Lord, you may have all of me. I am, I am a sacrifice before you. Consume me. Make me completely and utterly irrevocably yours. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it be so, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would work among us.